Europe is us, but who are we? Stay with us and you'll find out. Today's topic, youth and politics. Today's guest, Niklas Ninas, a 30 years old German member of the European Parliament, shortly an MEP from the Greens, a European Green Party. Today we are going to talk about the topics on which our guest is focusing the most, and one of them is the improvement of the position of youth in the EU. Mr. Ninas, what is it like to be one of the younger MEPs? It's something quite uh, special and interesting. I get asked this question a lot, of course, but uh, honestly, I don't know how it is to be an old MEP, so it's hard to answer. But the fact is we have uh, just a few members of parliament, just about 10, I believe, that are under 30. And you know, I'm just, I just turned 30 this year, and I think that I already live in quite a different world than, for example, my niece, who's turning 22 this, this, uh, this week, actually. And so, there is a big problem, I believe, when you have 10 MEPs who are 30 or younger and you have almost 100 that are over 70. And I think this is not good for democracy if we only have one particular group or like one group more represented than others. So it's, it's a hustle sometimes because we have conflicts with all the with all the colleagues, for example, on remote working, on easier conditions, but also, of course, on topics. Um, but to be honest, it's a quite good job. I really enjoy what I'm doing and I have the feeling that I re can really move something and this is really something great to do. Um, MEPs are also members of different committees. What is your working committees like, for example, in the European Parliament's Committee on Regional Development? Yes, yeah, so I have multiple committees that I'm working on. I'm the coordinator for the Green Group in the Regional Development Committee, as you mentioned. I'm also a member of the Culture and uh, Education Committee and a member of the Industry and Research Committee and a member, substitute member of the Constitutional Affairs Committee. And then the work there uh, differs quite a lot. So in the Regional Development Committee, as I mentioned, I'm coordinator, so I'm really trying to um, coordinate everything that we do to look at the bigger picture to see how the region development is working and for me region development is the major tool to bring Europe together you know to to give everybody the same chances in Europe because for me this is what making Europe one means that no matter where you live you will have similar chances it doesn't matter if you're old or young it doesn't matter if you're from east or west north or south you can um, through, through good education and hard work you can achieve a lot. And this is the promise I think we have to give to the European people. The Culture and Education Committee, we're more focused or, uh, on, well, culture and education of course, and then I'm trying to um, work on, the, on an improvement of the life of artists and cultural creators because during the pandemic they really suffered a lot. You know that we had to close everything uh, from mu musical um, uh, revenues, uh, avenues through theaters, um, cinemas, everything was closed, so they didn't really uh, get any payment or anything like this. So we need to support artists because there's also the diversity of European culture that I love so much. You know, um, I've been to uh, Slovenia uh, before and, and uh, was was able to uh, look not just on the cultural side, uh, like not just on the natural side, but also on the cultural side in, in Ljubljana, but also in the mountain areas. Um, and I think this diversity that we have in Europe 
must be protected. We must have this diversity. Every culture is just valuable. Therefore, we need to support those who are making this culture. And then in the industry and research committee, there I'm only focused on space faring. So everything that has to do with outer space, I'm doing. And in the F uh, Constitutional Affairs Committee, there I'm working majorly on the question of how we can bring Europe together as a constitutional part. So how, how to make it better, to make better decisions, to be quicker in questions of crisis, like we have right now with Russia, to have collective response that is just one response towards the foreign affairs policy. And that's what I'm trying to do there. You've been working on the Just Transition Fund a lot as well. Um, just to remind our audience, the Just Transition Fund is a key tool to support the territories most affected by the transition towards climate neutrality. But how can it prepare us to exit a fossil-based economy? It helps us to do that by, helping, uh, to, by, by ensuring that there's no social divide in it. Because that's the, that's the big problem. You will have regions that will lose a lot of value because the value it has is like in coal or in gas, but also the work that is related to that, that is around, centered around um, uh, the combustion of these fossil fuels and like the production of these fossil fuels. And if we lose all of these jobs, these regions will suffer, of course. And we have seen this multiple times, for example, in northern Spain, in western Germany, um, also in, uh, in, in, in Great Britain, in Belgium. So in these regions where you had steel and coal production, stone coal production, that was uh, not affordable anymore. And suddenly they broke together and those regions really died out. There were no jobs, there were no, no real structures anymore, no social um, support, and we want to avoid that. We know that we have to go for the transition, but we don't want to make it abrupt and disruptive, but really supportive to say, okay, we'll go for the, for the, um, for the uh, we go away from fossil fuels, but we will ensure that the regions stay strong, that there's an alternative means of production, alternative means of jobs, um, continuation of social services, of also uh, regular good living services like a, a swimming pool or, uh, or a sports hall or something like this. Schools, very important. So to make sure that all of this is there, therefore we need the Just Transition Fund. And frankly speaking, I think we will need to invest more in the future in these areas because the transition towards a new future for humanity, meaning a future that is fossil free, needs to be one that's also enjoyable to live, right? What's the reason, what's the point in making all of this if we're just destroying everything uh, in the meanwhile? Because we don't want to do that, we need to invest in the social uh, aspect of the transition. As you've mentioned before, culture interests you a lot as well. How are you helping improve the position of cultural workers in the European Parliament? One of the big things that we did was the um, RF um, investment facility. So there was a big chunk of money that we spent after COVID or right during COVID. Um, 750 billion euros, eight, uh, a big major part of this through the RF directly into the regions. And we fought for um, that at least 2% of that would be invested in the cultural uh, sector. Meaning that uh, we invest in, in in, in artists and support schemes for them and all of this. And this would have been the biggest investment ever to be made in, um, in culture in Europe. However, we didn't succeed in making it mandatory. So it was just an advice to the member states because the member states didn't want the parliament to tell it what to do with the money. 
And we checked up, I was the rapporteur on the implementation report and we checked up on it. And yes, we did have an overall spending of 2% in culture. But, big but, is that we have one member state, Italy, that invested heavily in culture and others didn't do. So overall we had 2%, but we have a divergence. And this is, I think, dangerous for the diversity of European culture. Because if you have member states that are um, getting better out of the crisis and others that are just continuation, con continuing the suffering uh, for the creators, I think this is highly problematic and highly dangerous for the diversity of, uh, of culture because otherwise you'll have a recovery of two speeds. What else we do or what we're focusing at the moment on is trying to ensure that there's a safety net, a social safety net for artists because that's something some member states did have it in the past and still have it today and this was really helpful during the corona pandemic. Other member states don't have anything at all and this is really dangerous. We saw it right now but I mean something similar could happen all the time but also in general. A lot of these people, you know, they're national treasures because they're producing culture and like a lot of politicians thank them and go out, have, make a picture with their sculpture or s celebrate their songs or something like this. But as soon as they get into pension, oh, they only get like a, a very minor pension that they cannot live off. So on the one part they're national treasures and on the other part they're just like, well, we, we don't care about you anymore because you can't sing anymore or something like this. And I think this is highly problematic and we need to ensure that there's a safety net for every artist in Europe. One of the things you talk about a lot is space as well. Uh, you are stressing how important it is to set the course for a new European space strategy. It could also fund smaller companies. Why is this important? Space is extremely important. I think we undervalue what we're doing in space. It's not just about going to Mars and you know some some wet dreams of, of some billionaires to go into space. It's way more than that. The majority that we receive at the moment is services from space. You probably know of positioning like GPS or better Galileo, the European positioning service. We also do a lot of Earth observation with Copernicus, the, the European observation program, in which we track climate change for example. And all of this is um, a lot of good services coming from uh, from space and what people don't understand or don't comprehend a lot of times is that if we don't have would have had if we would not have access to these services right now we would basically live in the 70s um, and the problem is there is a good chance that we cannot use this infrastructure anymore in the future the reason for that is space debris. We have uh, a lot of trash flying around space, but because it's flying very fast, it is very explosive. So a single bolt is, a, is as explosive as a hand grenade. And so if this comes in collision with, uh, with a satellite, it produces more space debris, right? So more trash flying around. You cannot track it all. And so the danger is that there's more space debris causing more space debris, causing more space debris. Um, until there's nothing else but space debris, only trash and all the infrastructure is destroyed. And this is highly dangerous because we have a lot of infrastructure that's reliant on it. We would have had no um, shipping services anymore, like all global supply chains would be cut from one day to the other. And also, there's also a lot of possibilities that we can do with, um, with space services. For example, when we're talking about tackling climate change, 
We need this data. We need a lot more data on, for example, methane. Methane is a very potent um, gas that is way more dangerous for um, the climate change than, than for example, um, carbon dioxide. We need to track it, we need to know where it comes from, how to stop it, how to reduce it, for example, in pipelines or other stuff. And uh, in order to do that, we need better cameras in space. So we need actually more uh, stuff up there. And this is the dilemma. On the one hand, we need to reduce the amount of trash. On the other hand, we need more satellites. And this needs regulation and protection. Regulation um, meaning that it's clear everything that you bring up, you have to bring down. Take your trash back with you. Like it's, it's like when you're going to the beach, please just take your trash with you. Um, and on the other hand, we want to enable that Europe, you know, at the moment we are not really at, at the head of the pack. It's basically American companies doing a lot of stuff. You all know of uh, SpaceX, of um, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and also um, Virgin Galactic and other big companies. There's a lot of more. I actually was there and, and visited a few of them. And they're doing a lot of stuff and Europe is lagging behind, even though we have so much potential. We are really, really good in this, actually. And we need to elaborate, we need to be faster, be better, be cheaper. And I think we can do that if we have a clear guidance and all companies know what to do. And we need investments that are not just focusing on the big member states like Germany and France with OAB and, and um, Ariane Spass, but really focus on the smaller and medium uh, member states that are interested in building up an industry and or if they don't want to have the upstream industry like launches and satellites that also want and have a lot of knowledge in data usage and use the downstream so everything that we send down from Copernicus and the other services that they can use that. And the last thing what we're actually working on right now is the secure connectivity initiative. Very bad name we will probably change that as well but what it essentially does or what I'm working for that it will be doing is that it will provide internet for all over Europe and that for a reasonable price so that every person in Europe can have internet access um, with a fairly stable and, and fast connection that you can contact the, um, your grandmother or granddaughter that you can work from home that we can really use this technology of digital technology to our advantages and that those regions, especially in remote areas, rural areas, can have connection to the internet, that you can work from them, that they can have a way better and newer future. And so there's also the link from region development and space. It's really from the local to the way, way outer region um, uh, level and this is great to work on these different levels and bring all of this together. The EU marked 2022 as the European Year of Youth. Why is this an important project in your opinion? I think youth is always an important project. <laughs> Just, I mean, also because I'm young and because I know that there's a lot of politics that's not focused on young people, um, where there's just so many different perspectives that are not just young perspectives. Um, I think it's good that we have this year of youth, but I also have to say I'm a little bit so-so, <sighs> because it's a good symbol, it's a good outspoken thing, but the question is what you do with this. If you just go out there and say, we have the year of youth, now let's celebrate, that's not really worth it. What would be worth it is that 
young people's voices are actually being heard. That we make sure that young people get involved in politics and it's not just like, hey, nice to meet you, shake some hands and all your ideas will, um, will rest in this drawer for, for eternity, but that we make sure that their ideas are actually being promoted, that their visions are being taken seriously. Because, I mean, in the end, sorry to tell the old people, but the young people will take over this world. And I think it's good if young people or if, if those people who inherit the heritage actually have a, have a word to say about how to, which direction we want to go. And so I hope that we use this year of youth not just to have like a nice blah, blah, blah about it, but that the young people actually demanding to be heard, to go to the streets, go to their representatives and tell them, this is my position and I want you to take me seriously. Just a few more personal questions that I ask in each episode. They tend to be the toughest ones, though. Okay. What is your favorite memory? My favorite memory... I went to um, Kenya 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and then we went to Tanzania. And uh, in Tanzania, there's the Mount, uh, Kilimanjaro. But we didn't climb on the Kilimanjaro. We went to Mount Meru, which is a, um, a, a mountain right next to it. And we went there in a way that we, on my very birthday, we went on top of the Mount Meru and saw the sun rising behind the Kilimanjaro. That was, that was quite special, I have to say. What is your worst fear? My worst fear um, is politic. Uh, it is something political because I'm afraid that we lose um, that we lose the race for for democracy, for understanding each other, that we lose the race for for politics that are also a future that's based on facts instead. Yeah, and so that, that's where I'm a little bit afraid. I think we see tendencies in the US, we see tendencies in Europe, and this is just the democratic states, and we still have like these major blocks that we see with Russia at the moment, um, them attacking Ukraine, that they are autocratic, that do not want us to live freely. And there I'm really afraid. I think we have a lot of work before us as young generation to solve these issues. And this one is a bit easier. What is your biggest wish? My biggest wish is to unite Europe. I'm hoping that we will have a united European state that actually acts of, of sovereignty and brings forward these ideas of democracy and freedom in the world. And because I honestly don't think that the, Amer that the United States um, are the right actor on the international level to solve humanity's problems, because they're not doing it. I also don't want China or Russia to be the ones we're tending to to solve our problems, because I think I'm afraid of their solutions. And I think Europe is the one to have the voice of reason and bring the world further. And um, for that, I think we need a united Europe. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all for your attention. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and listen to what we have to say, because Europe is us. Lisboa, Bruxelles, Varsava, Varsava.